Well, happy Mother's Day. Uh, I just want to say a big thank you to all the mothers out there because I know how hard of a job it is to be a mother firsthand. Not because I am a mother, because I'm not, but because I have a mother and I am me. <laughs> also, um, I have a mother in my home who is the mother of our daughter, Naomi. And so I know how awesome and hard of a job you have. Mother's Day is a beautiful time to remember and celebrate the women who have given birth, they've nurtured their children, they've left a profound legacy. On this Mother's Day, I hope you realize how important you are. As we just talked about during the dedication service we did earlier, I hope you understand the blessing it is being a mother. And yet I know that Mother's Day isn't always that simple. While it's a day of joy and celebration for some, it can be hard for some because it's just a reminder that your mother's not here anymore or that you don't have the best relationship with your mother, or you aren't a mother yourself. Maybe you're grieving a child that is strayed. Whatever it may be, I pray that God gives you peace today, a peace that surpasses all understanding. So I'd like to give all the mothers in the room some advice. Now, I must confess this is not actually my advice, but the advice from a magazine called Housekeeping Monthly, and it's from May 13, 1965. It's from an article that was titled, The Good Wife's Guide. Remember, this is from 1965. Here's what it says. Plan ahead, even the night before, to have a delicious dinner ready when your husband gets home from work. This is a way of letting him know you've been thinking about him and are concerned with his needs. Prepare yourself. Put on some makeup. Put a ribbon in your hair and be fresh looking. He's been with a lot of work-weary people. Prepare the children. Take a few minutes to wash them up, brush their hair, and change their clothes if needed. Remember, they are little treasures, and he would like to see them playing the part. Have a cool or warm drink for him, and arrange his pillow and take off his shoes. Over the cooler months, you should prepare and light a fire for him to unwind by. After all, catering to his comfort will bring you immense satisfaction. Let him talk first. Remember that his topics of conversation are more important than yours. Never complain. If he comes home late or goes out to dinner or entertainment without you, don't complain about it. Instead, try to understand his world of strain and pressure and his need to relax. Now, obviously, times have changed. The irony is that there actually is some real wisdom here. It's just buried under layers of stereotype. You know, there really is something good and noble, noble about doing these simple, everyday tasks for another person. It's just it was never meant to flow one way. It wasn't meant to flow solely from wife to husband or from woman to man. In the New Testament, Paul tells us all to serve one another, to defer to one another, to submit to one another. He tells husbands to love their wives, to care for their wives as they care for themselves, and to lay down their life for their wives. So as we're honoring our mothers on this day, as husbands, as sons, as daughters, as boyfriends, as fiancés, whatever it may be, let it spur us to love and serve year-round. We should have the mindset of this child who wrote this about his mother. It said, Dear Mom, thank you so much for being my mom. If I had a different mom, I would punch her in the face and go find you. I really wish that I could have taken credit for that note, but I cannot. I did not write it. But I can't give all the children in the room some advice. I have I've just one verse for you. It comes from Proverbs 20.20. 20. And you can always remember Proverbs 2020 because it'll give you 2020 perfect vision on being a child. Here's what it says. If you insult your father or mother, your light will be snuffed out in total darkness. Can I get an amen? You know, for my family personally, Mother's Day is still a new thing. 
for those who don't know, my wife Katie and I have a one-year-old daughter named Naomi, and this will actually be our second time getting to celebrate Mother's Day in our family. You know, since Naomi was born in April of last year, Katie wasn't even pregnant for Mother's Day two years ago. We it by just a month. So it's pretty awesome this year that we not only have Naomi, but Katie is pregnant for Mother's Day, and we're to the end of November, so that's pretty cool. But as parents now, we just see how amazing it is to see what Naomi picks up already at this young age. She's learning from us. Now, she isn't saying anything yet besides making ma-ma-ma-ma-ma sounds, which we're not sure if it means mama or more food, because uh, she seems to do it when she wants more food. Uh, but she's, so she's already making some sounds. We taught her how to sign for more food, the more sign. Um, we use our children's ministry YouTube channel uh, that has all the songs that our kids do in class. We have that loop at home sometimes whenever uh, we're wanting her to listen to some music. And so she's already learning these songs that she'll learn at church. Every night just before we put Naomi in her crib, uh, we read a book or two with her, and then we sing, Jesus Loves Me. And we do all of these things because we're being very purposeful in our parenting. See, Naomi's going to copy what we do, so we want to try to do what our Heavenly Father wants us to do. So when she's copying us, Naomi will be doing what God wants her to do. Now we know this isn't a perfect world, that she's going to make mistakes, make poor decisions, it's not going to make her the perfect child. But we want to do everything we can to be mimicking our Heavenly Father and be making that apparent in our home. But see, kids, they listen and they know what's going on. If you're not being authentic, if you're only playing the part, you're only acting, you're not actually giving your full self to your Creator, they're going to know. You know, sometimes you actually hear yourself in your kids. I've heard a bunch of stories about parents who had... Their child say or do something, and parents are like, whoa, that was me. You know, there's this one story I read where a, a guy, a dad used to, he would, when he would drive his car, and there was people driving and there was traffic, he would use the term idiots to explain these drivers. And so there was one instance where he got in the car, and his four-year-old son was in the back seat, and he said, hey, dad, are there any idiots out on the road today? You're like, ooh, yikes, got to be careful. That's saying idiots in front of my son. Another instance, there was a five-year-old son who had just finished a swimming lesson, and he approached his mom. His mom was talking to one of the other moms on, from the team. And the son said in a loud voice, Why are you talking to her? I thought you said she's a jerk. <laughs> you see, like, ooh, i got to be careful how I'm talking about people around my child. I remember once we were doing a family uh, get-together with Katie's side of the family, and my three-year-old niece at the time was separating her food on her plate, but she was using a napkin to actually separate her food. You don't, don't want cross-contamination or anything. And this all seemed really weird. Like, where did she pick this idea up from? And found out, oh, that's what Katie's sister, her mother, used to do all the time. So we can see that this, these kids are learning and mimicking their parents. So we need to be very intentional about teaching them. However, this doesn't just apply to little ones, those with little children. Even adults who are parents themselves learn from their parents. And even if you don't have little ones anymore, just being a part of this church family makes you have a responsibility as well, which means you aren't just off the hook because your kids are growing up. So this morning, I want to look at two different scriptures that will help us parent with a purpose. 
The two scriptures will be one from Psalm 78 and Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we're going to see three specific things that we need to do to be teaching our children. And so the first point, if you have your worship folders, you can open those up. And the first point says that we need to be teaching our children God's greatness. We're going to be in Psalm 78, verse 1. It says this, O my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from of old. What we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done. That last verse is what hits at home. It says, we will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds. The things that he does that deserve absolute praise. Show his power. Show his wonders. We need to be teaching our children just how great God is. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, it says, this is what Jewish people call the Shema. And it was something that as children they would have learned. They still to this day will learn heart for learn by heart. They would be learning this. Like we learn the alphabet, the ABCs. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. They will learn the Shema. And it starts out and it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And what I wanted to focus on here is the fact that they use the term the Lord. When they say the Lord their God, they're talking about, they're using the word Yahweh. And now we aren't exactly sure how this word is pronounced because this is to give an example of how uh, great they view God in the Jewish faith, they view him, is they wouldn't even say the word Yahweh because they did not want to accidentally maybe mispronounce or they didn't want to misuse the name of the Lord. And that's actually one of the Ten Commandments. says you should not misuse the name of the Lord your God for the Lord hold, not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. And so what we see here is that what they made up his own rule. God never said that. God never said don't use my name. In fact, when Moses asked who should I say sent me, God says Tell him, I am. Tell him, Yahweh sent you. So he said, use my name. Tell him who sent you. But to avoid potentially using his name wrong, when they would come to Yahweh, when they would be reading their scriptures, their Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament that we call now today, they would just say Elohim, which was the generic term for God. Because they realized how great God was. They may have taken it a little far sometimes, but they realized God's greatness. Now, another great verse that explains just how great God is comes from also a psalm. Psalm chapter 19 is the psalm of David. And Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. And I love this passage because it shows us, it tells us that the heavens, which is our universe, what we look, when we look up, what we see, the stars, the other planets, the galaxies that we see proclaim God's work and proclaim his power, his glory. And so we're going to do a little bit of science here. Anyone here like science? All right, there's a few of us here that like science. I like science. And we're going to go on a little science lesson. So just to give you an idea, we have to understand what the speed of light is. So the speed of light equals 186,000 miles per second. Did you catch that? 186,000 miles per second. We drive 60 miles an hour, which is fast, and it takes a minute to go a mile. 
Well, this is 186,000 miles per second. So a light year is how far light travels in a year. So that's 186,000 miles per second over 365 days. And to do the math for you, that means a light year is 5.88 trillion miles. So we're going to start with our one star in our solar system. Anyone know what the one star in our solar system is? It's the sun. It's 93 million miles away from Earth. It's about a million times the size of Earth. So Earth, which is huge, that we're standing on right now, that we're very little on, the sun is a million times more bigger. So we're going to do it, we're going to give an average, because it doesn't seem like we quite understand just the grasp how big that is. So if the Earth were a golf ball, all right, if the Earth were a golf ball, the sun would be 15 feet in diameter. That's very big, well, much bigger. But the earth is not a golf ball. The earth is ginormous. It's huge. But the sun is so much bigger. It would take 960,000 golf balls to fill up the sun if the golf ball was earth. You could fill an entire school bus with golf balls to give you an idea of how much bigger the sun is to planet earth. Now we're going to look at another star in, our known, in the known universe. And it's the star it's called, I kid you not, it's called Betelgeuse. Some other people say Betelgeuse as the pronunciation, but I like Betelgeuse better. So Betelgeuse is 427 light years away. So to do the math for you, that's 427 times 5.88 trillion miles. That's a lot. All right. So just to give you an idea of how big this star is, Betelgeuse is twice the size, not of the Earth, not twice the size of even the Sun. It's twice the size of the Earth's orbit around the sun. Wow. If the Earth were a golf ball, Betelgeuse would be the height of six Empire State Buildings stacked on top of each other. You could fit 262 trillion Earths inside of Betelgeuse. So, if the Earth were a golf ball, like we said, you would have enough golf balls to fill up the Superdome with golf balls 3,000 times. And that's just one star, and it's not even the biggest one. This scripture here and what we've seen in Psalm 78 and Deuteronomy chapter 6, they are just constant reminder of God's greatness. That God has created all of this stuff, and it's to show His glory. That's why it's so big. All of these great things, they also come from Scripture, which leads us to the second thing we need to be teaching our children. It's based on the Scripture. It says that we need to be teaching our children God's Word. So if we move along to verse 5, it says, He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. So scripture here says that the, we need to be teaching our children God's word, his commandments. If we switch back over, flip back over to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9, it continues and gives a practical way for us to be teaching our children. And I love this concept. It says, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. 
Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. The scripture says that we be teaching our children God's word, but it practically says how we teach it, just teach it while you're already doing things you're already doing. It doesn't say that we need to sit down every once every day for multiple hours a day and do a Bible study with your kids. If you have time to do that, great. But it says that while you're in your car, while you're going about your day, while you're putting your kids to bed at night, while you're waking up in the morning, while you're eating together, be teaching them God's word. So here at Connection, we use the orange strategy, and it's the concept of taking of the, taking the color yellow, which represents the church, the light of the church, and using that influence the church has, and combining it with the influence of the home, which represents red, the warmth and love of the home. And when we combine those influences together, the red, warmth of the home, the yellow eye of the church, we get orange. And so we do everything we can at Connection to partner with our parents, to give them resources to be able to be teaching their children at home what they're learning here at church. And that will be a constant reinforcement of what they're learning, and it will have a better chance for them to let it stick and for their kids to really take it to heart. The third thing that we see from this psalm here comes from verse 7. And it says, So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. We need to be teaching our children God's faithfulness. God is faithful, always. And he's even faithful when we don't deserve it. We're not going to continue reading the rest of this chapter because it goes on for a total of 72 verses. But if we just take a few verses out, I want to read a few verses here. It says that God split the rocks in the desert. He gave them water as abundant as the seas. He brought streams out of a rocky crag and made water flow down, the, down like rivers. But verse 17 says, but they continued to sin against him, rebelling in the desert against the Most High. It says that he also provided food for them. But it says that, yet he gave a command to the skies above and opened the doors of the heaven. He rained down manna. This is the food he provided for them. But it says this, they ate till they had enough, more than enough, for he had given them what they craved. But before they turned from the food they craved, even while it was still in their mouths, God's anger rose against them. It says, in spite of all of this that he's done, they kept on sinning. In spite of his wonders, they did not believe. It says, keep going down. It says, they remember God was the rock. The God most high was the redeemer. But then they would flatter him with their mouths and lie to him with their tongues. Their hearts were not loyal to him. They were, they were not faithful to his covenant. Verse 38 says, yet he was merciful. He forgave their iniquities and did not destroy them goes on even more, and it says all these things. They rebelled against him in the desert. They grieved him, and again and again, they put their God to the test. They didn't remember his power. He displayed great things in Egypt. Did all these things. Struck down the firstborn. Verse 52, but he brought his people out like a flock. He led them like sheep through the desert. He guided them safely so they were unafraid. He did all these things because he had promised he would. 
if you keep going on, it even says they put God to the test and rebelled against him even more. They did not keep his statutes. They did so many things, and so many times as you read through this, you see God is faithful. He's faithful. They didn't deserve it. We don't deserve it, but he's still faithful. He's also faithful when we don't even feel like he's being faithful. When he doesn't give us what we want, it's not because he isn't faithful. He just knows what's best for us, and we don't. Let me give this example. My daughter, who's one, um, she's not the best napper. See, she's great at going to bed at night. She's from being just a few days old. She was already sleeping great through the night, which is crazy. We had to wake her up to feed her in the middle of the night. We, my wife, did that. (laughs) She's awesome. But Naomi has never been the best napper. And so whenever I know she needs a nap because she's acting fussy, because she's getting, uh, I can tell she's tired. She's a little more whiny and she's crying more. I'll try and snuggle her up. And then she just gets madder. Why? Well, she's really incredibly tired and she needs a nap so she can enjoy life again. But she fights it and fights it until she finally falls asleep. And then when she wakes up, Oh, she feels so much better. She smiles, she's giggling, she's laughing. I knew what she needed, even though she didn't. But since it wasn't what she wanted to happen, she was angry at me. She's my child, so of course I want what's best for her. Do you think that's how our relationship with God is sometimes? He's saying saying to me, Aaron, you really need to do this. I know you don't want to. You need it. You will be in such a better place after you do this. Trust me. I know it's best for you. You are my child. We need to be constantly reminding our children, teaching our children that God is faithful. If we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 23, we'll finish up with this scripture. It says, He brought us out of Egypt so he could give us this land he had sworn to give our ancestors. God swore it. God promised it. He can't break his promise. It's not part of his character. We need to be teaching our children they can always depend on God. Because there's going to be even times as parents that we let our kids down, that we fail our kids. But if we teach them that God is faithful no matter what, that can be something they can build on the rest of their life into eternity. So as we wrap up, I want to bring us back to before the message. During the dedication service we had before the message started, we listened to our two families here state how blessed they are to be parents. And then they say their commitment to leading their child to Christ by their words and actions. Then we as a church, we stated that we are a family here and that we are witnesses to this dedication. So this morning I've been sharing from God's word what he expects out of parents and how we need to be purposeful in our parenting. But purposeful parenting isn't done just by the parents. It's done by the entire church family. Here at Connection, we believe wholeheartedly in the importance of the secondary influence. Here's the truth. And parents with grown children, you are going to attest to this too. Your child will look to someone other than their parents for advice and leadership. There's going to be a time when your child will look to someone other than you. You, They're not going to learn solely from you. So the question is, parents, do you want to be a part of this process or not? Do you want them to just choose someone you maybe don't know well or at all? Maybe it's someone on their scout team, or maybe it's someone, a parent of someone on their soccer team or in dance. Or would you rather be someone in your church family 
who knows you well and will have your child's and yours best interests in mind. I love this quote. It's from Reggie Joyner in his book, Parenting Beyond Your Capacity. It says this, The goal is for you to pursue strategic relationships so another adult voice will be speaking into your son or daughter's life, saying kind things you would try to say as a parent. See, sometimes your child just needs to hear a different voice. Even if the different voice is saying the exact same thing as you, your child needs to hear that. I've heard stories of parents that explain that a teacher said something, and the kid's like, oh, I get it now. And the parent's like, that's what I've been trying to tell you. Sometimes it's just a different voice that they need to hear. In my almost decade-long experience in youth and children's ministry, I've actually had conversations with teens and children where all I did was reinforce what the parents were doing, and it made a difference. I once had a parent ask me specifically to talk to his teenager about video games that he didn't want him playing. And I talked to the teen about it and helped reinforce what the parent was already saying, and it made a difference. I didn't say anything new. The teenager just needed to hear a second voice explain this, so it wasn't just his evil dad, his dad who didn't want him to have fun say it. It was someone he respected, someone that he looked up to as well. Just needed to hear a different voice. So my challenge for all the parents in the room and those listening, to look around. This room right now is full of potential secondary influences for your child. The next step is to start including these people in the life of your family, in the life of your child. Start being purposeful about having them involved in the life of your family. One of the best places to start is someone from your life group. So if you aren't involved in a life group, I challenge you to get involved in a life group. It'll be a great place to build these secondary influences, relationships. Another great place is what's going on right down the hallway in our children's wing. The teachers of your children. I've heard some great stories these teachers have said about what these kids have said and how cool it is and amazing it is hearing what is said by these young kids and the, even the wisdom that they have. Look, Reach out to those adults, those other parents, those other teachers that are teaching your child and maybe they can be a great secondary influence. My other challenge is for everyone and it's to be ready and willing if you're asked to be this secondary influence. Understand how important of a task it is and what a great honor it is to be that secondary influence. It's worth it. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this great day you've blessed me with, you've blessed us with. I pray that we have a life that is full of you. That we live a life for our kids, for the next generation. That when they see us, they see you. I pray that we're being purposeful, being intentional in how we parent. And I pray that we are being the secondary influence when needed and leading them to you. Thanks again. In Jesus' name, amen.